Good morning to you. We're going to take a moment to dismiss our children who are fourth grade and under to head upstairs for our kids crew worship time. This is a time of worship designed specifically for them where we engage them with truth and the story of the gospel on their level. And uh, our leaders and our kids are going to make their way upstairs for that. While they're doing that, let me encourage you to turn your Bible to 2 Chronicles chapter 34. 2 Chronicles Chapter 34 is going to be our text this morning. We are in a sermon series that we've entitled Movement, but you can even see just by looking at the graphic that the whole point is to consider how God wants to move in our lives. In order to experience the movement of God, we have to first say, Lord, would you move me? And and understanding that the movement that we want to see happen in the world around us, in the community around us, the movement that we want to see that sweep through this, this place and bring revival to our land ultimately begins with, with our hearts individually as we pray, God, would you move first in my heart and my life? While you're turning to Second Chronicles, let me just say briefly this morning, if you're a guest worshiping with us today, we want to encourage you to fill out one of our guest registration cards. These are located throughout the room in the, in the backs of the pews, so you could grab that and fill that out, drop that in the offering plate. If you prefer, we've made a digital way for you to submit the same information. You can scan the QR code inside your worship guide. If you're joining us this morning online through our stream or listening on our local radio broadcast, Cool 105, then you can just go to our website, fbcchickasha.org slash connect. That's the key part, slash connect. And there you'll find the same information. You can fill that form out. We want to be able to connect with you. We want to be able to help you as you're looking for ways to take next steps to uh, just navigate God's direction, His purpose for your life. And certainly if you're at a place where you're looking to plug in in the life of a local church, we want to, we want to connect. And so we would encourage you to give us your information so that we can be in touch with you. Last week we began this series, this movement series, looking at the story of Isaiah's call in Isaiah chapter 6. And, and we saw that God moved in, in, in Isaiah's heart and life. And that Isaiah's response was to say, Lord, here am I, send me. His response was, God, I, I see what you're doing. I see where you're moving. I understand the call. Lord, would you send me? Lord, would you, would you send me out? This morning what we're going to see is that when, when God moves and, and he speaks through his word, that it has power to change and transform our lives. And to do that, we're going to look at the story of Josiah. Now, part of what we're going to see is that Josiah discovers the, the book of the law of Moses. And I wonder, has there ever been a book that you've read that has just changed your life? You ever, you ever read a book and, and maybe it was a page turner, maybe it was the sort of thing that, that just really had a, a profound impact on you. Maybe it was a work of fiction, maybe just a really good story, one of the great classic works of fiction that even just reading it, you felt like, wow, this is so powerfully written, this is so well done. But, but it spoke to you in a way, because oftentimes the, what, what makes these powerful works of fiction so good, what makes them so enduring is that they speak to issues and they, they hit on key themes that, that really that we resonate with. Or maybe it was, maybe it was something uh, that wasn't a, a work of fiction. Maybe it was something in, in the area of, uh, perhaps it's something in the area of, uh, you know, of, of, of religion or theology, or maybe it was a book about health or healthy living or something that just had the power to change your life and impact you. This week, I was meeting with a young man in our church that, that I'm spending some time with and mentoring, and 
and, and we were, we're reading through a book together that's called Spiritual Leadership. This book was written by a, a guy named J. Oswald Sanders. And it's interesting that we're reading this book J, by J. Oswald Sanders because the book itself is one of those books that really impacted me in a profound way. So I was in my late teen years when I first read this book and, and studied through this with my pastor. And, and, and we did it together as, and, and he was mentoring and pouring into me. And there's a chapter in the book on, on leadership and reading. And, and the whole idea is that the, the significance of reading and being well-read in the life of a leader. And, and here we were discussing a book about leadership and we were talking about the idea of reading and, and relating you know, stories from our lives. And I was talking about how this book was really, for, in so many ways for me, was the beginning of this journey for me. Of, and if, if you walk in my office, you see I've got all these books on the shelf and, and, and all these resources and, and things. All of that really began for me with that book when I was 17 years old and reading that book and, and coming to the understanding that if I was going to be the leader that God wanted me to be, I needed to spend a lot of time reading. That needed to be a, a habit, a discipline that I developed in my life. What we see in this particular instance in this story, if you will, of what's taking place, is that Josiah reads, he hears read aloud the word of God, and it changes him. I mean, it just moves him. It stirs him at the level of his heart. And of course, we understand that's the Holy Spirit at work in his life, speaking to him, speaking through the word, and the power that the word has when it speaks to us, when it moves in our lives. And and I I really want you to think as as we study the story of Josiah today and we dig in. I want you to be thinking about how, how you spend time in the Word of God. Or, or maybe, perhaps, how you don't spend time in the Word of God. And, and I hope that today would, you would be challenged to spend time in God's Word, to study His Word, to, to know it, but then also importantly, and this is key, to do what it says. Because the reason we study the Word of God isn't just to know more about it. Unlike so many other works of literature, unlike any other book that we could read, this book was inspired by God's Holy Spirit, and it has the power to transform our lives. Now, I don't mean to say that other books can't be transformative. You can read another book, and, you can, and, it, can, and it can move you, and it can give you key ideas, and it might even motivate you to make some significant life changes. But no other book has the very words of God given to us that we may know God and we may have life in him. And so it's important that we would study and know his word. Let's, let's understand a little bit about who this character Josiah is, though, in order to make sense of the story and make sense of how God is speaking and moving, then we need to understand a little bit about who Josiah was. Josiah was the king of Judah during the period of time when the Assyrian Empire has conquered the northern tribes of, of what we would refer to today as Israel, right? The northern ten tribes. So the northern tribes were conquered by by Assyria, and then there was a period of some years before, ultimately, Judah, the southern kingdom, fell to the Assyrians in the very waning days of the Assyrian domination, just before the Babylonians rose up. Really, in in so many ways, it was the Babylonians who had risen to power, who conquered, but a lot of that started with things that took place in those waning years of Assyrian rule, and in that transition of power, we see that Babylon conquers Judah some years later. That happens after, after Josiah's lifetime. But what happens in Josiah's particular story is that Josiah comes to the throne at the age of eight. So as Josiah is just a boy, his father 
is killed. His father was murdered by a group of his advisors because he was, he was a terribly wicked king, and he was following after his own father. So Josiah's grandfather was a king named Manasseh. Manasseh ruled over Judah for 55 years. And in the period of time that Manasseh ruled, he did all kinds of evil in, in the eyes of God. Uh, among the, the many evil things that Manasseh did is that he set up altars to pagan gods in the temple in Jerusalem. And they began to worship Baal and these Asherah or Asherim. They, they would worship these, these pagan uh, idols in the temple that was to be dedicated for God. And it was, it was, not only was it blasphemous, it was an absolute abomination of the covenant that God established with his people. And also, in addition to that, Manasseh practiced the, 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 the idolatrous practices of these, of these neighboring peoples, among which were like things like child sacrifice. Manasseh sacrificed his own children in the valley of Canaan, and, and it, which later became known as Gehenna, a place that in the New Testament time we, we hear referred to as Gehenna. You may be familiar with, with that phrase. In the valley of Canaan, Manasseh has his own children sacrificed, practicing child sacrifice, just these detestable things, leading the children of Israel away from honoring the Lord. His son, Amon, follows in the, in the same practices. And two years into Amon's rule, he has a group of his own advisors who rise up and, and murder him. And then the people of Judah, in a, in a populist movement, rise up and, and kill those people. And so at the age of eight, Josiah ascends to the throne. Josiah was enamored with stories of David. He, he believed David to be this iconic figure, as certainly King David was. And, and so he begins to study the life of David. And what he understands is that, that there, was, there was a devoutness about David that he didn't see in his own day. And so he begins to walk in the way of David and follow after the practices of David. And they begin to cleanse the land of the idols. And, and Josiah was serious about removing the idols from the, the land. In fact, so serious was Josiah that he enters into this multi-year campaign of cleansing the land where they would, they would remove these idols, these what's referred to often as the high places, which were these these high places where they would where they would construct these altars to and these and these uh, essentially these idols to these false gods and and Josiah goes through the land and they remove these and not only do they remove them but he removes the the altars that were set up in the temple to these false gods and in fact he removes the altars he burns the altars and then he also takes the dust from those altars and he sprinkles it on the ashes of deceased priests and he even he even digs up the bones of some of these deceased priests and burns their bones and scatters those ashes I mean uh, Josiah was serious about the idea of religious reform and getting the people back and so one of the things that happens is there are a number of displaced peoples in Judah who are displaced by the Assyrian conquest. And so particularly the peoples of Manasseh and Ephraim, who were these two of the northern tribes who were displaced and living in Judah as essentially as refugees. And so Josiah puts these people to work and he has them cleanse and restore the temple. And in the process of cleansing and restoring the temple, they discover the book of the law of Moses 
which would have been the, what we think of as the Pentateuch, would have been the, the first five books of the Old Testament. And they bring the Pentateuch to Josiah and they read it aloud in his presence. And Josiah is so moved when he hears the word of God read aloud that he begins to weep. And he tears his clothes and he, and he covers himself in, in sackcloth and ashes, which were signs of brokenness, signs of just uh, of being in mourning and bitterness. And, and so he's so moved by what he hears from the word of God and this realization how far they have drifted from the word of God, how far they have run from the covenant of God that, he, that he, he brings about even further reform and there's repentance and, and he, he requires that all the, the nation of Judah are to be gathered together and they're to cleanse the temple. He instructs these people to continue cleansing the temple and he gathers together the people and he has the word of God read aloud in the presence of everyone. And then he says... Today, in, in, my, in our presence, we're going to begin to follow this Word of God. We're going to do what the Word of God says. And he institutes this, this incredible reform. And God blesses. One of the things that Josiah did is he consulted with a prophetess whose name was Huldah. And so when they find the Word of God and they read the Word of God, before he calls together the people, he consults with the prophetess Huldah about what does this mean. And Huldah says, because you were... Because you were moved by the word of God, because you were responsive to and humble to the word of God, God is going to do this. God is going to, uh, is going to preserve you for the number of your days, and he's not, going to allow, he's not going to allow the coming judgment to happen during your lifetime. So essentially it was the promise that God would hold off the, the, the ultimate conquest of his people, Judah, until after Josiah's lifetime. And that's exactly what happened. It wasn't until after Josiah died that, that Judah were conquered and, and the people carried off into captivity. And so the, the power of the word of God is really what stands out to me in the story of Josiah. Josiah heard the word of God and he was moved by it and he responded in obedience to that. And I want us to see that as we look at the story. And then ultimately, I want us to ask the question, how am I being moved by the word of God? So you've got your Bible open to 2 Chronicles 34. I've brought you all the way up to the moment here where we're going to read about this assembly of the nation of Judah together as they hear the word of God and as Josiah proclaims to them the reform that's going to take place. So we're going to begin reading in verse 29, 2 Corinthians chapter 34 in verse 29. Then the king, that's speaking of course of Josiah, sent and gathered together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. And the king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the priests and the Levites, all the people, both great and small. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of the book of the covenant that were written in this book. And then he made all who were present in Jerusalem and in Benjamin join in it. And the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God and the God of their fathers. And Josiah took away all the abominations from all the territory that belonged to the people of Israel and made all who were present in Israel serve the Lord their God. All his days they did not turn away from following the Lord, the God 
of their fathers. And so Josiah institutes this incredible reform. And in other words, he brings about revival in the land because he was so moved by the word of God. And the thing that is key that we see in this, the thing that I hope you'll understand and really begin to reflect on in terms of the application to your own life, is that in order for us to experience a movement of God, see revival in our midst, revival in our land, that we have to be moved by the Word of God. We have to be responsive to the Word of God. Well, of course, how are we going to be moved by the Word of God if we don't know the Word of God, if we don't read the Word of God, if we aren't in the Word of God? If you're asking yourself those kind of questions, then you're tracking along the way that, that, that we need to go this morning as we think about God's Word and the power that it has for our lives. So there are three things that I, I think we see, three points of, of application, if you will, that are key for us as we understand what's happening in the time of Josiah. And we begin to then ask ourselves, well, how am I going to do this in my own life? How am I going to institute this kind of reform? How am I going to be moved of God in a similar kind of way in my own life? The first point is this, is that the Word of God moves me to know the will of God. See, the Word of God does many things. Hebrews tells us that it's, that it's living, it's active, it's sharper than a two-edged sword, that it has the power to penetrate with the Word of truth, to rightly divide. That Word of truth cuts even between the, the bone and the marrow. It, it talks about in, in Hebrews chapter 4. And what, it's, what it means essentially is this, is that the truth of God's Word rightly divides. I mean, it, it rightly instructs us on the way that we should live, on the things that we should do. It helps us to know what is right and what is wrong. It helps us to see God's plan, His purpose for our lives. It helps us to know ultimately His will for our lives. And so as we read the Word of God, it's important that we read it, yes, to know its stories, to understand its characters and its key figures and its facts. It's important that we would read the Word of God and that, we would, and that we would be familiar with the Bible. But always when we read the Word of God, we're reading it that we may know God and know His will, His purpose for our lives. And so when we go to the Word of God, we want to study it. We want to know it. We want to ask, God, would you move me to know your will? One of the things that I do, a practice that I have, is when I, when I sit down to read the Bible, I, I have something available that I can take notes on or take notes with. Sometimes my laptop is open and I'm ready to, to type. Sometimes I've got a, a journal. I keep a, a little black notebook. It's called a moleskin notebook, right? And, and, I, and I keep this notebook and, and I just go through them and I just fill them up with notes and thoughts and, and things. Or sometimes it's Sometimes it's even just my Bible itself, and I'm writing in and underlining and making notes. But I, when I come to the Word of God, I have this general expectation that anytime I read the Bible, that I'm, I'm doing that in order to meet with God, in order to spend time with Him. And then if I will come with the expectation that God wants to speak to me, and that I can meet with God when I spend time in His Word, what I will find is that it's, it speaks. It's living. It's active. It's truth. speaks to me. And the purpose of that always is to direct my life, to direct my steps, to direct my ways, that I may know what God's will is, of course, in order that we may do it, right? It's not just so that we know what the will of God is, so that we can check a box and say, oh, well, good, now I know what God's will is. No, the reason that we want to know what the will of God is is so that we can do the will of God, that we would obey the will of God, that we would follow His will, follow His instruction for our lives. And so we ought to come to his word with that expectation that God speaks when we, when we read his word. 
I've heard someone say that if you want to hear God speaking to you, then just simply read your Bible aloud. And although, I mean, I, I think you could take that too far, right, and make too much of that, the basic idea, I think, is really profound. That God has spoken in His Word. He, and He speaks to us when we, when we read His Word, when we spend time with Him. You want to know what God says? You want to know His instruction for your life? Then spend time in His Word. Read His Word. Know the Bible. Read the Bible. Study the Bible. I get that for many, that's intimidating. In fact, early on, as, as you're just taking those initial steps, as you're just learning to study, as you're just getting into the Bible, let's, let's, be, let's be honest, it can be rather intimidating. We're talking about a book that was written by multiple authors over, over a period of hundreds of years, compiled together, that has, in, in so many ways, uh, centuries have gone by since it was, since it was completed and compiled and, and we're saying that I want this ancient book full of these ancient writings to speak to me in my life today and that can be intimidating, no doubt. But like so many other things in our lives, if you want to be more comfortable with the Word of God, you want to be more comfortable in, in the Bible, then you've got to spend time. You've got to commit and spend time in the Bible. The way to be more comfortable, and think about it, we do this with so many things in our lives, right? There are so many things that the more time you spend doing it, the more you practice, the better you get at it. And repetition, right, it, it builds that not only a level of comfort and a level of understanding, but it just, it gives us a proficiency at something. It's amazing to me to watch my my boys play video games and I see all the things that they're doing and all these movements and it's just, you know, it's just everything is firing and it's happening just all of a sudden in a moment. And I'm thinking, I have no, I, I grew up with the old NES controller that had like two buttons and an arrow pad, right? And now there's like 12 buttons and, and, and you shake it and you move it and, you, and it just all these, and I just don't get it. I, I, it's left me behind a long time ago. If you were to give me a video game controller to the PS5 and say, here, play this game, I would, I would fail utterly, right? But you know what? I'm pretty convinced that if I, if I did it every day and, and kept at it slowly, and for me it would be really slowly, over time, I'd get better. And slowly over time, I would develop some proficiency. Slowly over time, I'd, I'd at least know my way around and, and be better, right? Because... Because when you spend time with something, you develop that rhythm, that habit. You, you build the same thing with the Word of God. If you want to be familiar with the Word of God, you want to be comfortable with the Word of God, you want to learn how to get in the Word, and, and it, then you've got to commit to spend time in His Word. And yes, at first it may seem painful, difficult even, but I would encourage you, keep going. Have a notepad handy. Write down things that you don't understand. Get a, get a good dictionary. Look up words that you don't understand. Make an appointment. Come sit down with me or one of our other pastors. Let's talk. Let us help you. Let us speak some, some truth and, and, and help you in that regard as well. But I promise you, if you will commit to study the Word of God, to read the Word of God, it will speak to you and you will know His will. So the Word of God moves me to know the will of God. Secondly, we see the Word of God moves me to know the weight of sin. Not only do I understand the will of God, but when I study his word, I understand the weight of sin. And ultimately, that's what we see moved Josiah. That Josiah, he sees this, this chasm 
between what God has commanded in his word and the way that the people are living, even the way that he was living. And he was so moved by the weight of his sin and the weight of the sin of the people that he commits to these sweeping reforms. That God, today in your sight, I make a covenant before you that we will walk in the way of your truth. We will do what you have said. And he institutes this reform. He institutes this change because he understood the weight of sin. One of the things that happens is we become so familiar with, so comfortable in our sin that we forget its weight. We forget its consequence. We lose sight of how devastating sin is in our lives. But when we read the word of God, when we spend time in his truth, God speaks to us. The Holy Spirit literally will move and it will convict us of sin. He will convict us of the way of truth. He will convict us of the things that we're doing. And, and has this ever happened to you that you're reading the story of, of, of something that's taking place in the Bible and your mind goes to an example in your own life in a way that you have done this or a way that you have sinned? Because God's Holy Spirit is speaking to you and he's convicting you of sin. He's helping you to understand the weight of your sin by engaging with his word of truth. That happens when we read the Bible, when we spend time in the word of God. It moves me to know the weight of my sin, the consequence of my sin. So if you want to have a right relationship with God, then you have to, you have to deal with the sin in your heart, in your life. Just as we see here that Josiah deals with the sin, so to speak, in, in the tribe of Judah. He deals with the sin among the, the nation. And they confess their sin and they, and they cleanse the temple and they desecrate these, these, uh, these false idols and these altars. And, and, and they're doing everything they can to enact reform because they understood the weight, the consequence of sin. We too, when we study the word of God, we will be moved to understand the weight of our sin. And it ought to lead us to a point of confession. And in fact, that's really, I suppose for many of us today, that's, that's what we're praying for. That's what we're seeking, is that we would, even today as we read this and study this, that we would be moved to the point of obedience, a, a response of obedience to God, that we would understand the weight of our sin, we would confess our sin, that we would get on our knees before God, and we would say, God, move in me. Move in my heart. Move in my life. Transform me by your word of truth. But then finally, the thing I think we learn from this lesson in, in Josiah's story is that the word of God moves me to know the way of salvation. So not only does the word of God help us to know the will of God, God's righteous standard, his right standard for our lives. Not only does the word of God help us to know the weight of our sin, and that's all the ways that we have fallen short of that righteous standard, but the word of God gives us the plan of redemption. It gives us the path that we can follow, the way that we can be forgiven and set free, the, 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 the way of salvation, that we can find forgiveness and hope through faith in Jesus Christ. As we study his word and we see that God has made a way. Yes, we have sinned. Yes, we have rebelled against God. Yes, we have turned our backs against him. But God in his grace toward us made it a way that we can be forgiven and set free through faith in Jesus. And if we will know him through studying his word and understanding his will for our lives, the weight of our sin, ultimately we will see the way of salvation through faith in Jesus. I find it's interesting in the Gospels 
In Gospel of John particularly, there's a story that takes place just after Jesus has fed the multitudes. There, were, there was another instance, and you read about this in John chapter 6, where there was a crowd of people who were gathered together, and they were uh, essentially they were grumbling because they were expecting Jesus to reperform some of his miracles. They were expecting Jesus to do these things again, and they were disappointed that they came back and he wasn't doing the same things that he had done before. And, and they're saying, oh, Jesus, feed us. And Jesus says to them, I'm the bread of life. That if you want to be fed, you come to me. And the man who, who, who takes of my word will, will eat and he'll never hunger again. But that didn't satisfy. What, but Jesus, we want the miracles. We want to see the things that you've done before. Do those things again. And Jesus says, no, but you're, you're coming to me for the wrong reasons, essentially. And there's a, there's a moment toward the latter part of John chapter 6 where the crowds have been turned away in disappointment. And Jesus essentially says to his disciples, well, you guys didn't, you didn't go with the crowds? You didn't abandon them? And Simon Peter speaks up. You know, Peter often served as sort of the spokesman, the de facto spokesman for the disciples. And Peter speaks up in John chapter 6, verse 68. And he says, Lord, to whom else would we go? Only you have the words of life. The disciples understood that Jesus spoke the words of life. And he goes on to say, And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. See, the disciples understood that there was power in the word of Christ. There was power in his word. There was power in the word made flesh, which was Jesus they understood this, this power, this way of salvation. And so essentially they said, where else could we go? Lord, there's not anywhere else that we could go. There's no one else that we could turn to. Only you have the word of life. The same is true for us today. As we study the word of God, as we know the will of God, we know the weight of our sin, we begin to know the way of salvation, that there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name whereby we may be saved than the name of Jesus. But when we would turn to Him, when we would repent of our sins, when we would, when we would seek to honor and obey the Lord by walking in His will, doing what He has commanded, then we also we will live in this way of salvation through faith in Jesus. That's what it means to experience His movement. To understand the truth, to understand the will of God, to be moved by the weight of our sin and ultimately to confess our sins, to trust in Jesus by faith so that we may know the way of salvation. Has there ever been that moment in your life where you have been moved to the point that you were, were willing to confess your sins, to turn away from your old way of living and to turn to Jesus, to repent of your sins and turn to Him for salvation? Even this morning in our worship, we've, we've sung about that. We've studied that. We saw that visually displayed through Hadley's baptism. I mean, what more can God do to speak to you and to show you that this is the way of life, the way of salvation? And if you would confess your sins, if you would turn to him, the Lord is gracious to forgive you. And, to, and not only to supply forgiveness of your sins, not only to bring salvation to you, but then to lead you in this way of eternal life that Peter describes as he's speaking to Jesus in John chapter 6. If you want to know the way of eternal life, if you want to know the way of Christ, you've got to turn from your sin, turn to him in faith, confess Jesus as Lord and Savior, walk in his way of salvation. And that happens 
in order that we might honor God and see his movement in our hearts and our lives. In a moment, we're going to move into a time of response, a time of invitation. And in our time of invitation today, my prayer is first and foremost that if you're here and you recognize there's never been a moment in your life, there's never been a time when you've surrendered your life to Jesus by faith, confessed him as Lord and Savior, turned away from your sins and turned to him for forgiveness and for salvation, that today would be the day That today would be the day that you would call on the name of Jesus. The Bible says that if we would confess him with our mouths and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, then you would be saved. And if you're ready today to confess Jesus as Lord and Savior, to believe in him, then when we stand in a moment and we sing this song of response, this time of invitation, then our staff are going to be here at the front. We, We would encourage you, come to us. Let us walk you through that prayer of surrender where you say, Lord, Today, I want to confess you as Lord and Savior. But I suppose that for many of us, we've taken that step. And the thing that God is is speaking to us about today, the thing that God, that, that he has for you, his word for you today, is that in order to experience his movement in your heart, in order to experience his movement in your life, in your, in your midst, you've got to be committed to his word. And so for many today, God is he's going to be speaking to you. And he's going to be moving in your heart that you would either perhaps make a commitment or renew a commitment to spend time in the word of God, to study his word, that you may know his will for your life, that you may know the weight of your sin and ultimately may live in the way of salvation. That comes as we, as we know and do what the word of God says. And if God's speaking to you in that way today, then I would encourage you that you would make that commitment you would say, God, I'm going to commit to study your word, to, to do what it says, because I want to be faithful to practice all that I read about in, in your word. Maybe you want to come and use the steps of this stage as an altar this morning where you would meet with God, where you would just, where you would meet with him here and you would say, Lord, I'm making a commitment to you today. However God is speaking to you in whatever way he's stirring and, and moving in your heart, I would encourage you to respond in obedience to him today as we, as we say, Lord, we want to experience your movement in our, in our midst. And I, be, I understand that it begins with me. God, move me to respond to your word of truth. Would you pray with me this morning as we prepare for this moment of response? Lord, even now in this moment, we pray that you would speak to us that your Holy Spirit would stir in our hearts as we've studied your word, Lord. We know that it's speaking. We know that it's directing our obedience, un- guiding our, our understanding in order that we might know you and do what, you, what your word says. And so move in our hearts today as we respond in obedience to it. I pray that if there's anyone here today that doesn't know you, that this would be the moment that they surrender their life to you. Spirit, that you would speak to them, lead them to that moment of surrender. And that for everyone who's here, Lord, that we would be moved to commit to study and and know your word in order that we might do what it says. We want to be faithful in our obedience, faithful in the way that we live, ultimately faithful in, in seeking your movement in our hearts as we do what your word says, God. So move in us now. Stir our hearts as we respond in obedience to you. All this we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.
As we stand together now to sing this song of response and this moment of invitation today, our altar will be open here at the front. Our staff will be here. If we can pray with you and encourage you in some way, I want to challenge you that you would respond in obedience today as we sing.
so much truth in those words. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Christ. He gave himself as a sacrifice willingly to pay the price for our sins that we might be forgiven and set free as we trust him and we walk in that way of salvation. My prayer is that you would know salvation through faith in Jesus and that you would commit to to know and, and, and study and do what his word says so that you might honor him as a means of worship and also that you might point others to know Jesus as well as you live out what his word says. I encourage you to have a seat this morning and as you're doing that, we're going to prepare for our time of